Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. We are glad you're with us. All right, so we begin today with one question. Are the polls wrong? Because the latest political model from The Economist shows Joe Biden with a 96% chance of winning the election. That's right, 96%. So are you buying it at all? Don't tell these voters. As a matter of fact, this is what Trump rallies in Arizona look like. Magination out in droves. The president there today. Arizona's 11 key electoral votes are crucial. And speaking of crucial, what about massive mail-in balloting? Look, we've got word today from the White House that alerts have gone out to state and local governments about massive fraud. And we've got the details coming up on the big show today. Also, here we go again, uh, unrest in a major liberal city, this time in Philadelphia, where cops shot and killed a black man coming at them with a knife. We've got the reaction from the White House. Uh, also today, how about what happened today on Capitol Hill, where Senator Ted Cruz crushed Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey over liberal and political bias and censorship coming from their platform. It is making news at the water cooler. You forced the Politico reporter to take down his post about the New York Post as well. Is that correct? Within that 24-hour period, yes. But we, you know, as the policy has changed, anyone can tweet. So Twitter takes the view you can censor the New York Post, you can censor Politico, presumably you can censor the New York Times or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a Democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? Let, let's give uh, Mr. Dorsey uh, uh, a few seconds to answer that, and uh, then we'll have to conclude this, this um, segment. Well, we're, we're not doing that, uh, and this is why I opened um, this hearing with calls for more transparency. Jack Dorsey with the uh, interesting look there. I don't wanna say it's the Unabomber look. I mean, I shouldn't say that, though I just did. Uh, but anyhow, uh, more on that later in the show. Uh, first though, our newsmaker. Earlier today, I spoke with White House Communications Director Alyssa Farah about the upcoming election, the possibility of massive mail-in ballot fraud and unrest in Philadelphia, also Hunter Biden. Alyssa Farah, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. David, great to be here. Good to join you. Well, uh, look, the last time I checked, there was an election just around the corner. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, The Economist, by the way, is now out with something along the lines they're modeling, showing a 96% chance of Joe Biden winning. Uh, what's the view inside the White House there, Alyssa? Well, I don't trust The Economist on much and definitely not that polling. <laughs> We're feeling great. The president is out on the campaign trail meeting with real Americans. Last week he was doing three rallies a day. This week he's up to five rallies a day. So that means, you know, 90 minutes or longer that he's talking to the American people, selling his message of promises made and promises kept. We're feeling good. We're taking our case right to the American people, but we also don't take any vote for granted. We know we need to win the American people's support, not hide in our basement. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the election fraud that we've heard about. Uh, we, we've seen the examples out there. Uh, how concerned is this president? We know the president's very concerned about it, but what is, what is the feeling inside the White House about come election night and beyond what the uh, game plan is, Alyssa? 
Well, we're very concerned. Uh, we've conveyed to state secretaries of state that they need to have plans in place for these mass mail-in voting that we're planning to see. I think there's definitely some ner uh, some nervousness about ballots being accurately counted. Fox did a very interesting segment covering just, you know, following a ballot from start to finish, and many of them were rejected or didn't make it to where they were supposed to. So this is something we're monitoring. We're working with the state governments to try to make sure that we have a smooth election and every vote counts. But it is a concern, and it's why we're encouraging people, if you're able to do so safely, vote in person. Alyssa, let me ask you, you know, the name of our show, of course, is The Water Cooler. And here's some of the topic around The Water Cooler, this idea that if, if the president wins, that there literally could be mayhem around this country when it comes to Democrats and liberals kind of in meltdown mode and uh, possibly were uh, violence in certain cities. Is, is the White House, is this administration prepared for a scenario like that? So listen, the Department of Homeland Security is monitoring any potential unrest for any direction that this election goes. Securing our streets is a top priority of the president's. But what I would say, you know, to your point, David, the Democrats regularly accuse President Trump of tearing down American institutions when it's in fact them who have not for four years been able to accept the results of our election. And once again, if we're seeing restlessness in the streets because of a democratically elected process, that's on them. We're going to do what we need to to keep keep our cities safe, um, take precautions in advance, and the American people need to feel safe going out and voting and being in the public square. I want to ask you about what's happening in Philadelphia and, and the response by this White House. What are you, are you waiting for a request from uh, either the mayor or the governor there in terms of what potentially could happen with federal troops? How is that process going to work, Alyssa? So the White House has been in touch with the governor's office at the staff level. Um, we've made clear we're monitoring the situation. We'd be standing by to send federal resources if necessary. We think it's an important step that the governor called up the state National Guard. Um, it shows they're taking this more seriously than, you know, Portland and Seattle and some of these other cities did for some time. But we're going to monitor the situation. And if necessary, we're ready to stand by and help. Uh, we're Again, we're not going to allow lawlessness in our streets and certainly not violence against our brave men and women in uniform. Yeah. Hey, Alyssa, let me ask you about COVID. Uh, the president keeps talking about COVID as he, you know, the, at the rallies, he says COVID, COVID, COVID. That's all the media wants to talk about all day long. And obviously it's a very important issue, but, but he's suggesting that come November 4th, uh, all of a sudden their narrative may change. Is, what's, what's the sense about what's going on with the media and COVID? Well, listen, it's, an, it's important that the media cover COVID from a public health perspective, give good, honest, straightforward facts to the public so they can make decisions for their families. What's not helpful is when they get into the speculation game and they don't tell all the facts. So something the president is, is very proud of, frankly, is the fact that the mortality rate has dramatically gone down because of his interventions, because mm -hmm. he's raised therapeutics, because he's gotten treatments to hospitals so that we're able to lower the likelihood that you have a fatal incident once contracting the virus. We want the media to talk about that. Something we've pushed back on quite a bit from the White House is we talk about cases, you know, 20,000 new cases here, the media will breathlessly report, and that matters. We do need to isolate cases and we need to catch them. But what's a much more important barometer for how dangerous this virus is, is hospitalizations and deaths. And those continue to decline. Um, but listen, we're rounding the corner. We're not out of the woods yet. People need to remain vigilant. They need to be smart. And we soon are very hopeful that we're going to have a vaccine on the market that's safe and effective for millions of Americans. So Alyssa, you think the media is engaged in scare tactics, kind of hype this up even more than it needs to be? 
I do think so. I mean, I in no way would downplay the virus. This is right. a very serious pandemic the whole world's dealing with. But I do think that the media um, sometimes plays favorites in this in trying to make it something that's not a whole of government response, but squarely on President Trump. Like, we need Congress to act um, in terms of relief. We need, uh, rather than playing politics, you know, I see Chuck Schumer tweets near daily, we need a national testing strategy. Well, Donald J. Trump released a national testing strategy back in April, and on top of that, manufactured and purchased 150 million rapid point-of-care tests so we can test Americans. He's leading. It's it's the sen mm -hmm. it's some of these Democrat senators who are really just being keyboard warriors. Right. Alyssa, I want to get to the Supreme Court in just a moment, but I, I, one last question on COVID. I, I get a sense from this president, you know, he has a very good spidey sense. That's what I call it, kind of that sixth sense of, of kind of gauging what the American public is, is feeling at this at a certain time. I wonder if Americans are just kind of tired of all of the lockdowns and they want to get on with their lives. And if this dark winter that Joe Biden is talking about may come back to haunt Democrats. Oh, absolutely. The American people are learning how to safely live with the virus until we're able to defeat it once and for all with a vaccine. You've got to trust the public. I mean, people are going to make the best decisions for their families. But what I would note is this. Joe Biden put out his plan, which is how he would defeat COVID. Every single thing he lists on it, short of adding national lockdowns and a national mask mandate, which frankly we don't think is a very federalist response to this, the president has already done. We're surging PPE. We're surging therapy. We've got military doctors working alongside the top scientists in the administration. We're doing it. We've been fighting this virus since the outset of the year, not just, you know, quarterbacking um, our response effort from a basement in Delaware. Yeah. Hey, Alyssa, uh, let me ask you about the Supreme Court. Uh, ACB, Amy Coney Barrett, on the Supreme Court now. Uh, and now that the question has become packing the court, are, are you, the, the fact that Joe Biden and the Democrats really won't give an answer on this, well, the liberals, the, the Democrat liberals will give an answer, but Joe Biden is kind of playing elusive here. Uh, what is your sense? Do you believe Democrats are going to try for retribution and pack the court if they, be, if they become uh, getting power? I absolutely, I absolutely think so. And, you know, some of the more progressive members of the Democrat Party showed their hand after ACB was confirmed. Um, you know, AOC coming out and saying we need to pack the courts. I think we can assume that that is the natural scenario if Joe Biden gets into office. And it's one of the things that Americans need to think about when going to the polls. Again, back to tearing down institutions, what the Democrats accuse Donald Trump of doing. They want to reshape the court because they did not win in an electoral election. That is unacceptable. We have a nine-seat court for a reason. It's proven well since the outset. And we're, we're going to stand tall against any of these efforts to fill seats um, unconstitutionally. Alyssa, before I let you go, I've got to ask you about Hunter Biden uh, and what's been going on, on there. The media seems to be just absolutely silent. They've been dragged kicking and screaming to this uh, story. Um, what's this sense within the White House, whether or not they, whether or not you believe that the president believes that crimes have been committed here, or at least the former vice president has some answers that he needs to provide as it relates to a certain crime that may have been committed in all of this? There are some real questions that need to be answered by the Biden campaign, and they're failing to do so. I mean, talking about plausible deniability when taking tens of millions of dollars potentially from the U.S.'s greatest geopolitical foe is a huge concern. And we still haven't gotten basic answers from the Biden campaign about the $3.5 million that Hunter Biden took from the former mayor of Moscow's wife. This is not normal. This is not how it should work. It, it rings like it's uh, a case of pay to play, and the American people need to no, but we're not going to stop asking these questions. And we appreciate news outlets like Just the News actually reporting the facts. Alyssa Farah, always a pleasure to see you. Really appreciate all the time today. Thanks so much.
Thanks. See you soon. Bye. Alyssa Farr, back next with Tommy Lahren. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. You know, we truly live in the divided states of America. Come election day, it could get even uglier if that's possible. And trust me, it's possible. This week, I spoke to Fox Nation's Tommy Lahren to get her take on this crazy 2020 election. Yeah, hey, let's talk about, oh, I don't know, the election. I mean, there is this election going on less than a week away now. Uh, what do you make of, uh, of what's on the ground? What are you seeing and what's your uh, spidey sense uh, sensing at this point? Well, my sense is that the country is very enthusiastic about Donald Trump. We see that from the lines of people that wait to get to see him speak. And you really don't see that for the other side. In fact, the other side is not excited about Joe Biden really at all. They just hate Trump and that's their motivation. But they hated Trump in 2016 as well, but it didn't get them out to vote. There's a big difference between hating Trump online and actually going out to vote for Joe Biden. Now, I will say, though, David, the one thing that concerns me is voter fraud, ballot harvesting, mail-in voting. That's my really my only concern about next week. Yeah, mail-in balloting for sure. I'm now calling Joe Biden the mail-it-in candidate, by the way. I mean, it does seem like if he goes from the basement and like if he has two people at a barbecue, that's a success for the day, Tommy. Well, and he's also a candidate that is hiding in the basement. And we know that Hillary was a horrible candidate, but at least she got out there. She attempted to rally the people. Joe Biden knows that he is better just staying in the basement. And he is, his only hope for winning this election is that people just hate Donald Trump and that the mainstream media will do his bidding for him as they have done this entire season. What are we seeing from the media this cycle? I mean, we see it every cycle, but it seems like they are not just giving Joe Biden a free pass, but it's like a get out of jail free card. It's like the Monopoly version. Of, I mean, they're, they're nowhere on any of this, Tommy. Well, they won't talk about the scandals, but we knew that. Of course, they really wouldn't talk about Hillary Clinton's scandals either, but they won't even talk about the state of their candidate. I mean, just the other day, he called Donald Trump George, and the gaffes just continue. Quite frankly, I feel badly for Joe Biden at this point. They're not only doing Doing his bidding, though, that they are covering up for him. They're allowing him to stay in the basement. And they are, again, just railing over and over again about coronavirus being this president's fault, which is ridiculous, which is absurd. But that's all they have. Tommy, here's my sense, and I think this is where the Democrats' blind spot, and they've got a few blind spots, but I, here's, here's where I think a key blind spot could be. On COVID-19, Trump always seems to kind of have a spidey sense, if you will, as to where the country is from a mentality standpoint. I just wonder if they're just sick and tired of the COVID deal. I mean, the, the, just the lockdown thing, they're just done with it. They want to move on. And yeah, cases are going to come up. You might get COVID, and it's a bad thing, obviously, but it is what it is. And uh, I just wonder if he's channeling some of that in America and Biden, who was ready for the dark winter. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that's a resonating message and if, if that's going to help or hurt him. Well, Donald Trump, as well as Mike Pence, have pressed the other side on if they would continue the lockdowns and the shutdowns. And they really wouldn't come right out and say it. But just last week at the last presidential debate, Joe Biden did kind of come out and say, yeah, we would continue more shutdowns. And I've said it for a long time. I think not only for Donald Trump, but for other Republicans to run on reopening this country and getting people back to work. 
work. Enough of the fear. Let's get back to business. Let's trust the American people to be safe and responsible. I think that's a winning message for everybody on the red team. Yeah, and I also think in terms of a winning message for Donald Trump, I mean, I know he talks about, you know, I'm going to protect the suburbs and all that, but I mean, this idea of law and order, I mean, a lot of people ask me personally, you know, they say, wait a minute, isn't COVID the number one uh, issue uh, out there? And, you know, I got to tell you, Tommy, I, I kind of think it's something else. I, I mean, I do believe the law and order issue that Donald Trump has been so strong on uh, could actually help him because ultimately people want to feel safe. And this Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, if you're going to choose between two different kind of extremes. I wonder if that doesn't help Trump a lot and just uh, kind of get him over the top. I think it absolutely does. I mean, it seems like every other week we have some kind of a riot in, in whatever city, and it's not just in places like L.A. or New York City. We saw it in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We're seeing it in Philadelphia. Of course, L.A., they riot after their team wins, and we know that, yes, that's a longstanding thing, but it's much more violent, and they mix in their social justice narrative with it. If the Dodgers win, I think we're going to see it again. So I think when the American people are starting to say, do we really want a president that is okay with all this, that passes this off as Antifa is just an idea? Or do we want a president that says, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to protect your cities, I'm going to protect your borders, and I'm going to get the American people back to work. Let's get back on track. That's what Donald Trump represents. The other side is silent on law and order, or they cheerlead it. I don't think the American people are down with that. Yeah, Tommy, I want to ask you about churches in California and what's been going on out there and Gavin Newsom. I mean, you spent some time, obviously, out in California. I know you're in Nashville now. What do you make of uh, Gavin Newsom and the one-man uh, rule out there in California? Well, I'll tell you from living in California for three years that uh, Gavin Newsom is a tyrant. He is a dictator wannabe. He gets off on the power that he has, his newfound and anointed emergency powers that he's using to a great extent. But we just saw the list of rules that he's put out for holidays, telling people how many people they can have over to their homes for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for, for all the other gatherings. I mean, this goes beyond COVID safety. This, this goes beyond public safety. This is downright tyranny. And I think Californians are starting to wake up, even the most liberal among them, and say, you know what? This is getting to be a little much. Tommy, what about the future here? What does a Joe Biden America look like uh, moving forward if, if indeed he becomes president? And where do millennials factor into all of this? Because uh, the truth of the matter is, you know, you, you have to wonder about the future of our generation, uh, excuse me, future of the country at this point, depending on what how millennials uh, see the future of politics and, and the issues that are out there. Well, we as conservatives need to do a better job of messaging to young people exactly what a socialist nation would look like. And it doesn't mean that we're all come together and kumbaya. It means we all get poorer together. It means more regulation, more control, bigger government. I always say, if you don't trust government, why would you make it bigger? Most young people don't trust government. They are just wildly confused. But a Joe Biden America, let's be honest, it's a Kamala Harris America. It's an AOC America. It is a pathway to socialism. And I tell young people, and I tell really all ages that once you head down that pathway to socialism, it is really difficult to reverse course. And so this election, we always say it's a the biggest election of our time. This is the biggest election of our time, and it's us deciding who we're going to be as a nation, free or under control. 
Yeah, for sure. And as we wrap up here, you realize Democrats and liberals are going to go bonkers and berserk and need smelling salts and Excedrin and Advil and all that stuff. If Trump wins again, are you kidding me, Tommy? They're going to, I mean, I don't even know what to, I don't even know where to begin. Where, where, what are they going to do? Are they going to all leave the country? They always say they're going to leave the country and they never do. No, they won't leave the country. Half of them are way too comfortable with their entitlements that they're getting from the government. They're never going to leave here. But, you know, I am worried about what's going to happen in our country after election day. We know that we're probably not going to get the results right away. And we just hope that it doesn't take weeks for them to find some more mail-in votes, which is what my big concern is. But I think that a President Trump is going to come in and he's going to make sure there's law and order and can protect decent Americans no matter what the left is going to do. We have a president that's going to keep it under control and keep people safe. Fox Nation's Tommy Laren. Always great to see you, Tommy. Thanks so much for the time. Good to see you. Be safe out there. My big thanks to Tommy Laren. Back in a moment about changing your vote. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Mail-in voting. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. More than 66 million Americans have already voted either in person or by mail as of Tuesday. You know what that means? That means ballots that have been cast early this year surpassed the total of early votes in 2016. And guess what? We've still got eight days. Actually, no, my bad. My, my math is off. Six days before election. Look, it's all running together. When you cover Trump, you never know what's up or down. All right. Let's uh, talk more about all of this election madness, if you will. Election law attorney David DiPietro uh, is here. He's also a constitution law ator attorney. David, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, look, uh, so, so Trump tweets the other day, and I think we have the tweet, but he talked about how uh, this idea that you can change your vote. And he says, go, go ahead and change your vote. You know, the, there are states out there where you can do it. Uh, what do you understand? As a matter of fact, there's the tweet. It says, strongly trending on Google. Uh, can I change my vote? This refers changing it to me. Of course, he had to add that narcissistically. Uh, the answer in most states is yes, go do it. Most important election of your life. So what's the deal, David? It, it depends on the state you're in. It, it, it can actually happen, surprisingly. Um, I was a little shocked to when I researched this issue um, that, that it can actually happen. It can happen in states like New Hampshire. It can happen in states like Michigan. It can happen in states like Wisconsin. But there's a time constraint on it depending on your state. So if you are contemplating to change your vote and you've already voted absentee, uh, what you need to do is contact your supervisor of election and ask them what, if there is a process to change your vote. Here in Florida, where I am, that's not going to happen. It's, there's no buyer's remorse in Florida. Once you vote, you vote. So it just depends on your state, but it is it is a possibility, depending on where you live. That's interesting. I, I As I was doing some research for the segment, too, I noticed, I think I want to calculate, it was about 13 states or so. You know, I know Tr Trump says most states, but it, it's not most states, right? It's it's just a more than a handful, but there are, there are some states. It's not all, though, for sure. Yeah, there's some states, and then those states might have time constraints. Like, for example, if you're in Michigan, uh, you have two more days to do it. You have till Friday. If you're in Wisconsin, you have till tomorrow to, to request a, a change. So it just depends on where you live and what the local law, state laws are on this particular issue. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think in New York is the, and, and there may be more states, I don't know if you know of any, but I know New York is where you can actually, look, if you voted by uh, mail and ballot, but then you're like, wait a minute, hold on, I want to change that. You can actually walk in on election day and say, hey, scratch my mail and ballot, I actually want to vote in person. That, that's my understanding. It's, it seems that to be, that's, is the case in New York. And in New Hampshire, if you want to do it, for example, you have to get there an hour before the polls open so that you're there, you can be there to change your vote. So there's a whole procedure for it. So it's, it's very locally dominant, a, a local issue on how it's handled. So the best advice I can give is call your supervisor of elections uh, officials and ask them what's the process if there is a process. That's the best way to find out. Let me ask you a little bit about fraud here, because I mean, to, here's this is like Joe, Joe Blow, like on the street, right? Like this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm in New York, let's say for example, and I want to change my vote. Uh, so I go up to uh, you know the folks there on election day and I say, okay, I want to change my vote. And are we really supposed to believe like, okay, we're going to delete your vote, we're going to find that in the system? There, we hit the delete button. Now you can register. I mean, that seems like. I'm not quite sure if that is even like uh, a legit thing at that point. It seems very confusing. We don't even know whose vote would be counting at that point. It seems pretty incredible to me as well. I mean, especially for a state like New York. I mean, fourth largest state, they're able to pull, find one particular ballot, pull it out, and be able to put a, the new ballot in. That's pretty impressive technology if that's the case. I, I, we don't have that here in Florida. It, it's just it, it counted, and that's it. The ballot's counted because when you insert the ballot, your name's not attached to it. it that's it. It's it's it, nobody knows where that ballot came from. So it's pretty. It is pretty incredible, and it, it, it raises the 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 possibility of fraud or incompetence if this is if this process isn't actually fulfilled correctly. David, speaking of fraud, what are you expecting election night? In other words, what should, what are you looking for? What are what are some concerns that you, that you would have uh, as an attorney, as a constitutional law attorney, about what we could see uh, come Tuesday night, and, and quite frankly, even beyond some of the fights that are going to happen in court? I think the biggest issue is these unsolicited ballots. I mean, one thing is to request a ballot. They, you know, you've lived in a certain location. The supervisor knows you've lived there. You voted there in the past from that address. And they check your signature, but it, to, to just mail ballots out, you know, uh, to areas where people might not have lived in those houses for years, and have ballots floating around is really, really concerning to me. And I, I think if there is a close election, this unsolicited ballot issue is going to become the major focal point of everything. You know, one question I always get from folks, and I try to explain it, but I'm going to let you explain it. I mean, it's pretty simple. There, there is a difference between an absentee ballot. Uh, in a massive mail-in balloting uh, system that we're seeing going on here, you talk about unsolicited ballots. I mean, it's one thing, you, I want you to explain it, but it's one thing to request, you have to request an absentee, absentee ballot. It's another thing to just be sitting at home, you know, watching a television rerun and all of a sudden, oh, look what's in my mailbox, I've got a ballot. It seems very, very different, obviously. You know, when I was in college, I lived in Tallahassee and I voted there. I'd be pretty upset if somebody sent to my college dorm room a ballot because I voted there 15, 16 years ago. And that's what an unsolicited ballot would be, that I haven't voted in that county uh, in 15 years. And, and since I voted there in the past, they went ahead and sent a ballot. And there's no chance I live there or even in closely in the area anymore. And there's no check to make sure that I, maybe I registered in another county so there's no there's no reason to send a ballot uh, unsolicited. That's the scary part. And then you, people can die, people can move. 
um, the whole host of changes can happen, and it can cause a, a real mess. I mean, it's 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 the biggest issue I'm watching, and it's and it's really uh, a concerning because if the election's close, it's going that's where all the legal fights are going to be over. Well, and that's the thing. You mentioned people dying. I mean, so there, there's been a couple of people in my house over the last 10 years uh, have either passed away or there was a, a niece that left us who was living with us for a while. She got not a ballot, but a but a way to register to get a ballot. Uh, and, and I mean, it's just crazy all the stuff that could happen. It, it's really concerning. Um, it, it's 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 really to require some level of identification of vote is the minimum standard. Um, you, know, you know, if you really want pure voting, you have people actually show up to the polls. But I understand with this pandemic, that's that's become problematic. But Florida has done absentee voting pretty successfully over the last 20 years. Um, and it's really the gold standard, I would say. Believe it or not, Florida is the gold standard for elections. But it is. We really do have our absentee system. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we have recounts, the numbers are very few apart uh, when they recount them. It's it seems like our system's working. I don't know about for other states like Pennsylvania. Yeah, David DiPietro, uh, come a long way from hanging chads back in 2000. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. All right, when we come back, uh, a presidential historian, Doug Weed. Mainstream media loves to get on Trump's case. He's got a different view. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, when you think of Donald Trump, at least in Democrat and liberal circles, you think orange man bad. It's like he can do no right. Everything's wrong. He's responsible for, you know, global warming. He's responsible. He's got blood on his hands and COVID, all of this. Uh, but the, our next guest has a bit of a different perspective because, oh, I don't know, he actually did some research and knows a little bit about Donald Trump. Uh, joining us now, Doug Weed, uh, the New York Times bestselling author and former advisor to two American presidents. Uh, Doug, thank Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Congratulations on your new show. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Doug. And we're going to get to your book in a moment. But I want to first ask you about the election and what's your take so far, what you've seen. And, you know, Trump is going to have to apparently pull an inside straight again or another miracle. At least that's the way it's, it's coming across. What do you think might happen? Yeah, absolutely. It would take a miracle, I think, at this point, which is possible. It happened last time. But uh, I'm, I'm pessimistic. I, I see the United States uh, right where Argentina was a few years ago. We had, they had a booming economy. Their middle class was rich. They felt uh, tender towards those left behind. They tilted to the left, voted in a lot of socialist policies, and the country's gone bankrupt. The billionaires, they always make it. They got their money out of Argentina. The rich middle class had their bank accounts frozen, and they are now in virtual poverty. It's a sad story. I could see that happening to the United States. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about your pessimism. So you're, you're talking about <laughs> pessimism as it relates to uh, the actual. You're talking about pessimism as it relates to America's future, potentially. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I mean, a uh, uh, 30-second nightmare for me is Democrats win control the executive branch and the Senate and the House. Uh, they changed the Supreme Court for the first time in 150 years and had 
five more jurists and make that tilt to the left. They bring in Guam, Puerto Rico as states to get four more uh, senators. And then they do what they promised. They give free health care and uh, free education and legalize citizenship to uh, all of the illegal aliens. And the Democrats would rule the country for 100 years. I think that's very possible. Yeah, and there is Trump's trying to stand guard against all of that, uh, for <laughs> sure. Hey, Doug, let me ask you about your book. I mean, obviously, you, you wrote about uh, Donald Trump. You, it's called Inside Trump's uh, White House, The Real Story of his presidency. Tell us a little bit about the book and, and what people need to understand about Donald Trump. Well, it's a fascinating story that isn't told uh, because the media doesn't tell it. And I interviewed him and all of the family members. And it's <laughs> the opposite of what I thought. I, I found the White House and the president to be much more calculated than I suspected. Uh, Sun Tzu is supposed to have said, out of chaos comes opportunity. And I saw that with Trump. He blows up NATO, then he rebuilds it bigger, better than ever. Blows up NAFTA, rebuilds it bigger, better than ever. Uh, he reads a lot. That surprised me. And he's much more empathetic than I expected him to be. For example, the night of the election, he was glued to the TV and Ivanka was saying, you got to go, Dad, you got to go. They, they wanted to bring him to the Hilton. And he was transfixed by these weeping Clinton supporters on TV, these young ladies. He said, imagine how they feel. Imagine how they feel. This was Donald mm. Trump, a side of him that I didn't know about. <laughs> Well, that's a, that is an interesting story. You're definitely not going to hear that from the media, for sure. Hey, Doug, let me ask you a little bit about, as a historian, as someone who has uh, seen other presidents uh, up close and personal, what's your sense of how, and I know it's early, but how history could remember Donald Trump? Uh, once again, I understand this is the first chapter, and you know it, it depends a lot on what's to come, but what is your sense about what Donald Trump has done to the presidency? I think he's going to have a startling legacy because of what he's accomplished and what he's exposed. Uh, it, it's like someone who's turned on the lights in a dark room. Now the lights are going to go out again, but we'll never forget what we saw when the lights were on. And some of those memories uh, can't be erased. There are things we now know about big corporate monopolies that we didn't know before. Uh, NAFTA is a good example. He, he said to me, NAFTA is 17,000 pages long. They say I'm against free trade, the North American Free Trade Association. Think of that. The Bible is 1,000 pages long. So is War and Peace. NAFTA is 17,000 pages. It doesn't take that much, many pages to write free trade. It was filled with corruption. And he turned that on his head, and it made a lot of enemies. And the enemies are the big corporations that own the national media. They, half of their profits are coming from China. They're not very happy. Yeah, you know, Doug, one thing has fascinated me, uh, the media just doesn't get Trump. They think they get Trump, but they really don't get Trump. They, they have no idea. I mean, it's fascinating to me that he is a billionaire who can speak and relate to cab drivers, if you will. He kind of speaks like a cab driver. Uh, and, you know, if Mitt Romney would have been able to do that, maybe he would have won back in 2012. But uh, Trump, is, Trump is something the media just hasn't really been able to figure out. You know, David, I admire you a great deal. I followed your career, but I disagree with that. Okay. I think most, at least at the executive level, 
of the media. They understand him perfectly well, and he's the enemy, and they're trying to get rid of him because he's released the angels of small business, and that's what created the great economic growth. Mm -hmm. So you have a company like Boeing that now has 40 competitors for some of their corporate uh, government bids. They never had that before. They were an absolute monopoly. It's an interesting quote from a Soviet dissident. He said, when the truth is replaced by silence, that silence is a lie. So the media has been unfair not only by reporting false stories, they've been unfair by not reporting stories that are important. You know, I guess what I was saying more about the media, though, is that they, they always are kind of dumbfounded that Trump can, you know, employ that strategy of shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, if you will, you know, that strategy. And, and, and they just keep coming every single day. There's commentary like he gets away with this. He gets away with that. But I truly believe his narrative has been the big brash New Yorker who can say or do anything. And that's his narrative. And, and, and people voted for him anyhow, Doug. Well, you're right about that. You're right about that. I, uh, I, but I was surprised by how much calculation there is. My best interviews were with Jared and Ivanka, and uh, Jared said the first day he was in office, he wanted to do everything. He wanted to bring the hostages home immediately. He wanted to end ISIS immediately. He wanted yeah. to create jobs, everything on the first day. So he's one of the hardest working presidents we've ever had. In that respect, the media, they, they do underestimate him. And I yeah. think the media underestimates the American people who are on to a lot of the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And they understand it in a way the media doesn't expect them to yep. understand it. Doug Weed, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, David. Good All to right. see you. When we come back, uh, the last sip, a little commentary about Joe Biden and the babbling brook. Back in a moment. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back to the uh, water cooler, everybody. Time now for the last sip, uh, and here it is. And uh, water in the, uh, in the um, what is this? Oh, it's a mug. Yeah, okay, so it doesn't take that much of a rocket science to figure out what it is. Um, look, Joe, Joe Biden, all right, can we talk about him for a moment? Uh, can someone let him know that he's running for president of the United States? Because clearly, I mean, Kamala Harris clearly thinks she's the one running for president. I mean, she's the one that said uh, in a Harris administration. And now Joe Biden apparently is Kamala Harris's running mate. Have a look. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Jill Biden's husband, and I am Kamala's running mate. <laughs> you all think I'm kidding, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm Kamala's running mate. No, you're not, Joe. Uh, and I like how he says, you think I'm kidding. No, Joe, actually, we don't think you're kidding. We think you really do think that because uh, hashtag 25th Amendment. You're probably gone in January, is my guess, and Kamala Harris will be president by February 1st. But anyhow, let's go on and roll some more of the Joe Biden clip uh, right after that because it kind of just um, rambled. You all think I'm kidding, don't you? Folks, it gives me so much more optimism about the future to see that Maya and so many inspiring young people like Maya, that's uh, President Trump. He does not, he's having trouble being heard over there. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're a very polite bunch. 
Okay, so just so you know, we just ran about 35 seconds uh, of Joe Biden, and I have no idea what he just said. I have no idea. I mean, Maya and Trump in Georgia, but Trump wasn't in Georgia. I have no idea what he said. So literally 35 seconds, we had no clue he's rambling. Uh, look, enthusiasm for Biden, not through the roof. As a matter of fact, just 46% of Biden voters in a recent Pew poll said that they strongly support him. That compares to 66% of Trump's base. And I got to tell you, folks, uh, we know that elections are all about uh, enthusiasm. We know that they are won at the margins. And this is Trump's only hope. I mean, Trump has to hope on election day that uh, that enthusiasm or lack thereof for Biden translates and MAGA nation doesn't just show up on boat and by horseback and with their there are convoys of truckers around the nation. That's great, wonderful visual, knock yourself out. But uh, is it gonna translate into victory on election day? We'll find out. Meanwhile, I have to tell you, uh, right here, little lady, uh, this is Madison's uh, dog here, our associate producer. She's wondering, what's up with Biden? And I think a lot of Americans are too. Back in a moment. All right, welcome back to the water cooler. So you got Biden versus Trump. You got uh, Ali versus Frazier. You got Ted Cruz versus Jack Dorsey. That was the scene today uh, on Capitol Hill uh, regarding Twitter and censorship. Hey, by the way, um, all right, there, we did the sign. Because we got to do the sign. Sophie Mann uh, here. We're not going to censor Sophie Mann. Uh, by the way. We would never do that. Hopefully. No. Uh, not that I want to talk about Jack Dorsey's beard, but I mean, that whole thing just looked very kind of like, very Silicon Valley, honestly, very uh, Montana cabinish. Very much winning the uh, quarantine beard competition. Yeah, for sure. Whether that's the look you want to go with before rolling up to the Senate, I don't know, but no, he, I, he made a choice today. Yeah, clearly. It was like jogging and testifying. Mm -hmm. That was like his thing. All right, so what's going on? What would have happened today? Because, I mean, we saw some of it. Cruz was yeah. just lambasting him. Well, so as you say, this is this is uh, the about the third or fourth big tech hearing before the Senate or congressional panels of the past few months. Today, mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey joined um, Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai. He's he's by and large avoided these hearings. It's mostly been um, mm -hmm. Zuckerberg, Google, Apple, the like, but right. not, we haven't heard from Twitter yet, despite Twitter being such a hot button topic politically because so much discourse obviously takes place on the platform. Yeah. So today, the um, the Senate panel was asking Jack Dorsey about election suppression, these sort of headlines we've seen the past few weeks, um, specifically Twitter uh, censoring the New York Post's Hunter Biden story, mm -hmm. which the New York Post is remains locked out of its Twitter account, as we've seen. You know, Jack Dorsey, he, he falsely apparently said, we changed the rules of Twitter. You can now send the Hunter Biden link if you want. Ted Cruz very, or his team at least very quickly got on Twitter right after Jack Dorsey had said that, tried to send the link, couldn't do it. Do Certain it. Trump campaign employees tried to do the same thing, posted videos, it wasn't working. So the CEO of the company appears to be wrong in that capacity. Um, in addition to, huh. you know, giving sort of a, a little bit of an incoherent testimony sort of all over the place in terms of how Twitter sets their rules, you know, not 30 minutes after he said that, but the um, the Ayatollah of Iran posted a, a tweet about um, should it be okay to present Holocaust denial theories, and that was not censored. So oh it, it's unclear if we got any real answers today, but I think we got sort of the same plot line of um, Twitter has been at at the very best, inconsistent about the rules that they've applied in terms of censorship on their platform. Yeah, and Dorsey is saying this whole thing about there's no political bias at Twitter. I mean, right. come on. I mean, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Anyhow, neither did you, Sophie. Two days ago. <laughs> Yo, so I didn't know that breaking news. You, you <laughs> fell off the turnip truck. 
Thanks, Sophie. Yeah, Appreciate of course. It. All right, we're back tomorrow with a show. You know it's going to be a big show. We always have a big newsmaker and a few little fun things like uh, all of this. All right, we'll see you tomorrow.